Hello, and welcome to the Built Different Podcast with Zach Clinton. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. While there, you can join in the conversation about this show. Just search for Built Different Podcast in your internet browser. Here now is your host, Zach Clinton, on this edition of the Built Different Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this edition of the Built Different Podcast. I'll be your host, Zach Clinton. Man, I'm just so excited to be with you guys today to tell you a little bit about the craziness and the whirlwind of the past couple of weeks that we've been going through. You know, my wife and I, Evelyn, for those of you that haven't listened to previous episodes here recently, we got married actually on September the 5th. And on September 6th, we flew all the way out to Maui for our honeymoon. And then on the 13th, we flew all the way from Maui to Orlando, Florida for our AACC World Conference. And let me just take a second to say this. The AACC Waymaker World Conference this past week was by far one of our greatest world conferences that we have ever been able to host and put on. I mean, over 7,000 counselors and therapists and psychiatrists and psychologists and mental health professionals and pastors and all sorts of ministry leaders were there to just get poured into, to be encouraged, to be equipped, to be educated on some of the most challenging issues in our world today regarding mental health and just really trying to connect the mental health realm in the church and really trying to bring those together and bridge that gap there. And let me tell you, it was just an unbelievable week. You know, our Built Different team was actually there as well to record some podcast episodes. And man, let me tell you guys, we got some incredible content and just some incredible interviews that we will be releasing in the next few weeks. But I'm talking guests such as Pastor Levi Lusco, Pastor Ted Cunningham, Dr. Daniel Amen. We had Chap Clark talking about teen suicide rates and everything on the rise. We had MLB baseball legend Daryl Strawberry. Man, we had so many amazing individuals. Pastor Sammy Rodriguez. I mean, come on. Some incredible content that I seriously cannot wait to release to you guys in the weeks to come. But I just want to read to you guys what our topic of conversation is really going to be about today. And it's about a passage of scripture that when I used to read it, it honestly used to stir just a lot of hard feelings maybe, because I feel like it's so hard to do when you don't truly understand what struggle is. And it comes from James chapter one, it's verses two to four. But let me preface it with this as well. Used to be one of the hardest verses and passages of scripture to read. But then when I went through really difficult moments in my life, it became one of my favorite passages of scripture to read. So that's the heart and the viewpoint that I'm coming at with it now. So James 1 verses 2 to 4 read, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let me say this, people. Your struggle is your gift. Too many times, though, I feel like we look at struggle as such a bad thing. We look at struggle and we see our so-called weaknesses. But this is where the change of perspective needs to come into place. Because what if we started viewing our weaknesses as our undiscovered strengths? So what I'm saying is don't be scared of your struggle. I once heard a quote 
that said fear could only exist in our thoughts about the future. So what that's saying is don't be scared, rather be willing. Be willing to gut it out. Be willing to make something happen. Be willing to overcome today and every single day. Every mountaintop requires going through a valley. Your valley is part of your story. Your valley, my friends, could be your opportunity. So don't overlook where God has you right now. The good or the bad, the happy or the sad, the mountaintop or the valley. Just trust that his plan is perfect and believe that he is with you right where you are. Consider it pure joy. Guys, our guest today is one of the most joyful individuals that I have ever met. Miss Margaret Feinberg. She's a best-selling author. She's a world-renowned speaker. She is a flat-out preacher and teacher of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. She's also a podcaster. She has such an amazing podcast actually titled The Joycast with Margaret Feinberg. I'm telling you guys, this is an episode that will just encourage your heart beyond measure. It's so interesting what she has revealed in one of her latest books, Taste and See. And that's really what we dive into during this entire episode and interview. And what she really does is she she met with all of these butchers and bakers and cooks all over the world and dives into specific foods that are mentioned all throughout Scripture and she connects the meaning and the heart of this food and what they are actually used for other than eating and how that connects with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's so amazing just the connecting points that she's going to make in the next couple of moments to come. So guys, please stick around because that absolutely unforgettable and amazing interview with Miss Margaret Feinberg will be coming up right after this short break. It's no secret there's a beatdown on men, anything that's masculine. From the radical push to feminize men, to changing the core of what it means to be a man. But God made man for a purpose and a reason. When King David was on his deathbed, passing the baton of leadership to his son Solomon, there's a lot he could have said to him. But he told his son these words, be strong, and show yourself a man. You know why? Because he knew what was ahead of him. And it's because men matter, and they matter more than you know. It's time, really, it's time to rise up. Some good news is that something is stirring. Something's happening all over the country and around the world. Men everywhere from every walk of life are stepping up and they're crying out, God, I want my life to count. I wanna make a difference. I wanna be all that you created me to be. You may feel as if everything is lost and that this is your darkest hour, but God loves to meet you in your brokenness. He loves to use those moments to remind you of his presence and his power, to send you running back to him for hope and strength. Hear me, you're not alone. God is there for you and there is a remnant. There's an army, there's an uprising that's happening. Now is the time to show yourself a man and take it back. Order your copy of Take It Back by Dr. Tim Clinton and Max Davis at timclinton.com. 
Welcome back to the Built Different Podcast. Here's your host, Zach Clinton. Miss Margaret, thank you so much for joining us today. What a delight. I can't even believe I'm here. It's awesome. This is so exciting, Miss Margaret. It's a pleasure seeing you again. I know I've been able to see you and meet you several times over the years as you've spoken at a lot of the Extraordinary Women events um, next to my mom, which has been such a blessing to see and just hear your teaching. And you just have such a heart for Jesus and you just ooze his love and what I like to say, his joy. That's what I think of when I think of Margaret Feinberg. So, ma'am, just to begin, um, you've gone on a lot of crazy adventures in your life, but I think one of the craziest that you've been on was in writing one of your newest releases, which was Taste and See back in 2019. Uh, Miss Margaret, I've heard you say that, you know, you really became alerted to the presence of sheep in the Bible when you were having a conversation with a woman at a bed and breakfast. Can you help us understand how that conversation really changed and shifted your life for the better? A number of years ago, I was helping my aunt with her bed and breakfast up in Sitka, Alaska, when one of the guests in the bed and breakfast was just sipping on coffee and munching on scones when I randomly asked her what she did in her free time. And she said, I am a shepherdess. And I remember Mm. thinking, what? (laughs) She said, I'm a shepherdess. I thought, like, you take care of sheep? And she said, yes. And then she began to describe outside of her home near Portland, Oregon, that she took care of several dozen sheep. And this Mm. was not just her, you know, a hobby. This was her passion. This Mm. was her, what she loved more than anything. And as she began describing, just interacting with her sheep, just, just as a woman who takes care of them and really cares for them. I instantly had a series of Bible passages flutter through my mind. Mm. I mean, I thought, wow, these connections are so real and so vibrant and so alive. And so at the end of that conversation, I I just said, hey, I, I am just so fascinated. And she said, I've actually been collecting magazine articles on this topic. Would you like me to send them to you? Mm. And I said, that would be dreamy. And you know what? I honestly thought she would forget. She was on vacation in Alaska. I mean, we say a lot of things we don't do. Oh, yeah. But a few weeks later, uh, a package full of those articles arrived in the mail. And as Mm -hmm. I read them, my spirit, again, just came alive. And I thought, one day I have got to write about this. Yeah. And so I managed to track her down and go and make several trips down outside of Portland, Oregon to spend time with her and her flock. And Mm -hmm. as I did, I began to see passage in the scripture, especially where Jesus reveals himself as the good shepherd come alive in a whole new way. And that one interaction opened my eyes to the agrarian or the mm. agricultural themes of the Bible. Mm. I think so often, you know, we we think of us in our modern time and the Bible, and we look for instant application, instant parallels. But I live in a world, and I imagine you do too, where yeah. I, I don't grow my food. I don't right. raise animals. Right. I mean, I go to Costco. I go to yeah. Sam's Club. I go to Walmart. I go to these stores, and everything is prepackaged and pre-done. Mm. And yet, when you're living in biblical times, it was primarily an agricultural a world in which they were so dependent on God as their sustainer and their provider for Mm. every raindrop, for every cloud, Mm. for every timing of every harvest. And so beginning to enter into that world made the Bible come away alive in a way that I just, I never could have anticipated. Mm. I love how you said that, that God was their ultimate provider. And like you said, everything that we do, we go out and get that food ourselves. And I'm not going to lie, 
I'm not the best cook in the world, Miss Margaret, but, you know, I do enjoy it and I enjoy good food, right? And one thing that I think is so funny, me and my fiance, we love sitting down and watching cooking shows, especially the competition cooking shows, right? Beat Bobby Filet, Master Chef's one of my favorites, Chopped, and we love sitting down and just critiquing all of the contestants like, oh man, you know, that doesn't look that good. And I'm thinking to myself, I could never make something that even looked half presentable. So food is something that naturally comes to mind. So when I saw your book, it just, I gravitated toward it. I had to read it. And my big question is this, you say at the beginning of your book that God is the original foodie. Margaret, why do you think there are so many references to food in scripture? And then help our listeners understand what's the connection between physical and spiritual hunger? Mm. You know, if you start looking for food in the Bible, you will discover that it pops and sizzles on almost every page. From the beginning of Genesis, where God opened creation, almost like a five-star Yelp-reviewed buffet, where you can imagine the original couple just plucking pomegranates and grapes as they Mm. pass through the garden, textures and flavors and salty and sweet in such remarkable ways. But even after a willful act of disobedience that involves food, God does not go silent on mm. his people. He doesn't remove food. He, he actually mm. continues to use food to draw people back to himself, whether it's through the feasts of the Old Testament, through mm. the sacrifices, through the very presence of Jesus, who revealed himself as food. I mean, this is the bread of life, mm. the good shepherd. This is the one you know his, who is like the vine and the, the vine dresser. I mean, you see these parallels over and over again, even to the closing of Revelation. Mm. where what are we promised? Invitations to the biggest shindig of all time. That's right. The ultimate garden to, you know, feast festival of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Mm. And so I think we use that word foodie, you know, as someone who pays attention to food, which I think at some level, most of us are foodies if you use that definition. But I think that God was the original Foodie. And, and I think that really reveals part of God's heart for you and I, that he could have made humanity where we licked stones in mm. order to survive. Right. Instead, he, he fills our mouths, our very tongues with tens of thousands of taste buds mm. that we would literally be able to taste and see his mm. goodness mm. all around. And so when we gather around a table, I find that so often, you know, the best meals that I've had, if I'm really honest about it, it's not necessarily about the actual food. That's right. In other words, so often some of the finest meals that I've ever happened, they weren't eaten in solitude. They were eaten with other people. That's right. And that there is this deep craving, you know, in the garden when humanity was faced, you know, it was not good for one to be alone without the other, but it was also not good in that loneliness. That's right. And that we were created for relationship. We mm. were created for connection. And so some of the best meals that I've ever had are the ones where we come and our souls are nourished, not just over the food, but over the connection with one another. Mm. And so I think that when we go to a restaurant, often with others, we aren't just craving an appetizer or a main course or a side dish or dessert. Mm. We are craving that authentic connection where we get to taste and see the goodness of God Mm. one way or another in each other. Amen. I want to highlight on some of the things you just said, because like you said, food, but also relationships are both so good for our health, right? Both physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, so many things that we can learn there. And then like you said, the intricacy 
that God places with the taste buds and so many things and how he uses food to draw his people back to himself. Miss Margaret, as you dive deeper into this book and you dive deeper into scripture, you choose six very specific foods. And can you just touch on what are those six first off? And then just why did you choose those six? And then we'll kind of dive deeper into two of those specifically. You know, in Taste and See, discovering God among butchers, bakers, and fresh food makers. Yeah. You can already tell from the subtitle, there are so many foods in the Bible. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of different mentions of all types. And so I realized pretty early on that if I was going to look at food in the agrarian world of the Bible, I needed to narrow my search. And so I identified mm. six and I sought out the people who plant and process and procure them, not those who are in mass manufacturing plants, trying to do it as quickly and cheaply as possible, yeah. but those who had more of an artisanal flair. Mm. And so this journey led me to go fish in the Galilee, to pluck figs in Madera, California, to go and track down the head of Yale Divinity School, who happens to be an expert on ancient grains. Wow. I cold called him, introduced myself, <laughs> and invited myself to his house to bake bread for an afternoon. Um, I even went and studied under a butcher in McKinney, Texas, who calls himself the Meat Apostle, wow. and graduated from a class uh, called Steakology 101. Mm. In order to identify and understand salt, I tracked down a salt mine about 150 miles from where I live in Utah wow. and descended 410 feet down mm. and, and began to study salt it, 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 that's frozen in time in the form of underground in an ancient seabed. Mm. And with each of these individuals, I would open up the scripture and I would ask, how do you read these passages, not as theologians, but mm. in light of what you do every day? Mm. And their answers change the way that I read the Bible forever. I thought, man, how have I gone to church so many years? How have I studied the scriptures? How have I listened to so many podcasts and sermons and no one has told me mm. these things? Mm, that's so powerful. And I love that you got to go on these adventures to all these different places and to really work with hands-on, like you said, the professionals. They're not theologians, but the professionals with those specific foods and how they were able to teach you and grow you in your faith and in the scriptures themselves. Miss Margaret, as we dive deeper, this is where the fun begins because this is where, you know, you're such an incredible Bible teacher and I cannot wait to hear some of the lessons that you learned about these two very specific foods and that of olives and grapes. And I'd really love to just dive in deeper with you on these specifically. So just starting out with the olive. Margaret, I'm not an olive fan. I don't like the taste of them. I do like some olive oil. Uh, my fiance, my mom, they absolutely adore olives. But what is it about the olive that really caught your eye? And really, what did you learn about the olive that changed the way you viewed its representation in Scripture? You know, it's interesting. I, I grew up on olives, so I love them. But yeah. when I started to look for olives in the Bible and olive oil, they are all over. I yeah. mean, even Paul, you know, refers to the idea of grafting in the book of Romans, where mm -hmm. you're taking a, an olive tree and you're taking a wild branch of another and grafting it in. And I thought, man, I do not know the first thing about these crazy little plants <laughs> and trees. And so I actually traveled with my husband to Croatia, a remote mm -hmm. island, to help a 
family who had been living there generation after generation bring in an olive harvest. Wow. And it was fascinating because the tools that we used were so basic. It was a, a blue tarp and a, and, and a five-gallon bucket. And we would stand underneath the olive tree and we would actually massage the branches until mm. the little olives would plop into our bucket. And, mm. and then if, the, if we missed catching them, they would go on the blue tarp below. Right. We want to make sure none were lost. Mm. And it was interesting because when you do that kind of work, you know, six, eight, ten hours a day, hands over your heads, brunching against leaves and branches and twigs, what happens mm. is you start to get cuts on your hands, your muscles get sore, you ache, but, but when you come home you know, you, or you look up, you think, man, I'm, I'm getting cut all over. And yet what was extraordinary is I would come home and I would look at my hands at the very end of the day and it looked like they had been soaking at a world-class spa. Wow. And what's interesting is that God designed the olive and its oil with antibacterial, anti-inflammatory, mm -hmm. and anti-infectious properties. And so that even as you are doing the work of plucking the olives, the healing is soaking in. Mm -hmm. Even as you and I as stewards and as servants are serving and using our gifts and our talents and what we've been called and creative in this generation, this time, in this moment to do, even as we do that, sometimes we step out and we get nicked and we get dinged and we see the little cuts emerge. But even as we're doing that, Christ is allowing the healing to soak in. Mm. And so it's interesting because if you start to look in the scripture, yeah. you begin to recognize that in the Old Testament, olive oil was often primarily used as a symbol of anointing. Mm -hmm. And who was called to be anointed but the kings and the prophets. Mm. And what were the kings and the prophets called to do by God? They were called to bring healing to the land. Wow. And so if you look at the descriptions of kings being anointed, you'll discover that when they were anointed, it wasn't like today where you dab somebody with a tiny little dot on the front of the forehead or you draw just a tiny little cross on the index finger with yeah. a little bit of oil, but rather that oil was poured over them. It flowed over their hair, down their faces, onto their beards, onto mm -hmm. their bellies. And when the light hit it, it reflected the very favor of God. Mm. And so we should not be surprised that when Jesus comes, he reveals himself as what? The Messiah, which mm -hmm. means the anointed one. That's right. And on the night of his arrest, he could have gone anywhere, but he chooses an X marks the spot kind of place. The Garden of Gethsemane, the mm -hmm. Garden of the Olive Press. Wow. And as he enters into that place... He goes likely near the center where the olive press was located. Mm -hmm. Why was the olive press in the center of the garden and that olive yard? Because olives get incredibly he heavy when they're mm -hmm. full of oil and you don't want to transport them very far. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus was the anointed one was likely near that olive press and the oil and the olives in an ancient olive press, the press itself looked like two large white stones stacked atop each other. And the olives would pour in and that top stone would turn and then the oil would emerge. And here is Jesus, the anointed one in the olive yard near the olive press. Mm. And as he's there, he too is writhing and wrestling, just like those olives did between those two stones. He is writhing and wrestling mm. under what 
the pressure and the weight of the cross to come. Wow. And instead of oil dripping from his blood, the scripture describes that it is blood dripping from him under that crushing weight. And yet in that place, he mm-hmm. declares, not my will, but yours be done. Mm-hmm. And he rises up and three days later, he endures the cross right. and the resurrection. And from that place, he emerges with incredible healing power in his midst. And so you and I, you and I should not be surprised that in the book of James, that we are encouraged that if any of us are hurting Mm. or in pain or in suffering, that what should we call? We should call the elders of the church to come and pray over us and anoint us with Mm. oil. Why? I think he did it because he wanted to remind us every time in all of our pain and all of our suffering exactly what Christ endured and that he is the one who rises with healing in his wings. But I think another reason he did it is because God knew that just like the olive in its oil, that the healing properties were embedded in. And so when you mm. start to look at olives in their mm. presence, you start to see symbols of healing and the resurrection of Jesus Christ all over the place. Mm. That's so powerful, Miss Margaret. It really is. I'm sitting over here taking notes um, because what you're doing is you are just, you're such an amazing teacher. And like I said, and that's really taking a deeper look. Like I never would have thought of that before I read your book and before I heard you speak on these very topics. And it's so amazing, like how you said it all connects. And I mean, the anointed one, Jesus comes and how he was pressed and he was heavy in the Garden of Gethsemane, but he said, God, not my will, but yours be done. And then he brings the ultimate healing. It's so beautiful to see. And like you said, he brings healing. But then I want to tie that into the the second food I want to talk about quickly, which is the grapes, right? And you talk a lot about, um, you reference, it's a very well-known passage, John 15, 1 to 4, which talks about the true vine, right? And his father's the vine dresser, and we are the branches, and we are the grapes, and these different things. And what I want to talk about here is Jesus not only heals, but he also does what we call pruning, and then he calls us then to abide in him. Miss Margaret, what are those two things, and how did the grape then help you to better understand the ultimate source, which is our vine, which is Christ? In order to better understand the almost 500 mentions of grapes and vine and wine and vineyards in the Bible, I actually traveled to a small vintner in Napa Valley, California. And with him, I just started opening up the scripture. Mm. And as we looked at that passage, the, that theme of pruning emerged. And I don't know about you, but when I see or hear somebody say pruning, like I'm like, I don't <laughs> want anything to do with that. That sounds awful. Yeah, that sounds no terrible. <laughs> like I kind of have this picture of a large uh, machete in my head, just whack, 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 <laughs> whack, whack, like a crazy weed whacker until you're like, is there anything left? Right. And what Christoph said was, Margaret, no, that's not how we prune vines in Napa Valley. He, he pulled out these little teeny shears. I mean, they were only, the tips were only just a couple inches long. And he began to describe that as a boutique vineyard manager, he would walk through his vineyard multiple, multiple times until he had handled during a growing season, every single cluster of grapes three to five times. And each time he would go through, he would cut back just a leaf and just a branch so that every grape on that cluster received the maximum amount of air and the maximum amount of sunlight Mm. for maximum fruitfulness Mm. and flavor. And I began to think, man, my understanding of God's pruning in my life 
has been so unhealthy and distorted wow. that when God comes and he prunes us, he is doing it so intimately. His hands are on us. His mm -hmm. face is close to us. He cares mm -hmm. so deeply and he is cutting back those things that prevent us from growing into maximum fruitfulness and maximum flavor as we bring the flavor of heaven down here to Amen. earth. And I thought, God, if that is what you mean by pruning, then have your way yeah. with me. Amen. Taste and see that he is good. Miss Margaret, just in closing, um, from just all the amazing lessons that I've been taking notes on, I hope all of our listeners have been taking notes on as well. You know, you've gone through some very tough moments in your own personal life. A few years back, you battled a very aggressive form of cancer. Life was dark, right? Life's hard. And ma'am, I know there's bound to be someone listening today that's truly just downright struggling. Maybe they're searching for help. They're searching for hope. They feel down and beaten up. They feel like they're out of the fight. But Margaret, in your some of your toughest moments, you've heard the words whispered to you. You can either cling to the crisis or you can cling to Christ, but you don't have arms big enough for both. Margaret, what is your pressing word to us today of hope, encouragement, and motivation to the man or the woman that they want to experience the joy of the Lord? They want to taste and see the goodness of God, but they just don't know where to look. Yeah. I would encourage you that if you are in that position where you are in crisis or pain or loss or cancer or disease, what so often happens is that will swallow you. It will fill up your calendar. It will fill up all of your discussions with your friends. It will become the central point in your life. Mm. And so my challenge and my encouragement for you is to toss an anchor into God's hope and plan and future for you. And mm. that can be as simple as grabbing a can of paint and, and repainting a wall in your house. That that can be as simple as signing up to go on a little overnight with a friend, yeah. but put something in the future that is tangible that mm. will bring you joy and give you something else to connect with, with others other than the crisis and that point of pain. And what that's going to do is it's going to open up margin in your life to begin to see God's goodness and faithfulness again. Mm. Press in close to God. Taste and see that he is good. I challenge all of our listeners to go and pick up and buy that very valuable resource in Miss Margaret Feinberg's Taste and See book. Miss Margaret, thank you so much for your time, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Zach. You are incredible. Thanks. Man, everybody, let me tell you, I hope you guys had your notepads and your pens out if possible because Miss Margaret just laid some truth on us. And I'm telling you, just some absolutely amazing connecting points and teaching points from her, just really listening, like I said earlier, about all the food groups and all the different foods that she really mentioned and talked about and how she went into the deeper meaning. And I think the one thing that I really appreciate the most about Miss Margaret and her book, Taste and See, is when she talks about the salt. And how scripture always says, go out and be the salt of the earth. You know, for the longest time, I truly didn't understand maybe what that meant. But then listening to Margaret dive into it and reading her book, Taste and See, I understood what it meant. And I understood what salt was used for as it's used to preserve things. And that's what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to preserve the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to hold on to it, to dwell in it, to grow in it, and then to go out and preach the good news, to share it with other people, and to preserve it here on earth, and to give it back, to give it out, to dish it out, to share it to as many people as possible, because it's no good if only we know about it. We got to keep sharing it, because that's what God wants us to do. 
Go and make disciples of all the nations. Be the salt and the light of the earth today. Guys, as always, I love you. I'm so thankful that you tuned in. Thank you so much for joining us. And we will see you next time on the Built Different Podcast. Hi there, this is Jessica from the Built Different Podcast team. As a reminder, you can listen to this show on your favorite podcasting platforms, such as Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Stitcher. Whatever platform you choose, please remember to subscribe to the Built Different Podcast with Zach Clinton. Also, if you happen to catch the show on Apple Podcast, please leave us a review. Thanks again for tuning in to the Built Different Podcast.